Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I'm Cricket Lou, along with my co-host, Matt Larson. Hi there, good to be back. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, it is good to be back. Uh, we won't talk about how long our hiatus was, our inadvertent hiatus. Well, we always say we're not going to talk about it, and then we proceed to just go ahead and talk about it. Yeah, I, I suppose that's a... a bit of a contradiction, right, to say we're not going to talk about something <laughs> because we just mentioned well, it. Well, we could stop talking about it right now. Okay, let's do that. Okay. Um, you recently went to uh, a DNS ORC meeting, which we will talk about fairly shortly, right? Yes, that was a good meeting. Yeah, let's, should we answer, should we, should we go to the mailbag? The should. mailbag, which, which I might add, was awfully empty. It was Not awful. empty, but we had to go very far down. I don't think we have anybody to blame for that except ourselves, though. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but our dedicated listener, Yorgos, did ask us a question. So I'll reach into the mailbag. That's actually my cell phone bill. Um, and I will uh, find Yorgos's message and read it. Uh, he says that he was recently browsing a thread... Um, and actually, he says browsing diagonally. Yeah, what do you suppose? What do you suppose he meant by that? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess. I mean, if the thread, if the layout of the thread was diagonal, like, you know how if you look at something that's been, been uh, archived by what is it, MH on Arc, you know, right? It, so, maybe he was sort of doing a, a depth first kind of traversal of the thread. Right, like reply after reply after reply all to subsequent messages. Right, that would be that would be my guess. Otherwise, you know, I'd say, you know, laterally browsing a thread would be jumping around from place to place. Or, well, anyway, <laughs> we digress. We do. He said he thought it would be nice if we could cover the process of signing the root zone, or how keys roll over and stuff, and most importantly, how stakeholders or even plain guys could participate in the process and the ceremony. He says, I think that one of you has been present on such an occasion, right? I think he's referring to you. Yeah, well, we can talk about this. Um, I mean, I, I could go on and on, so I'll restrain myself. It was a, uh, it was a, a big effort among um, ICANN, uh, VeriSign, and, uh, well, chiefly ICANN and VeriSign, and this was in... We, you know, the route was signed in the summer of 2010, and it was, well, I mean, I'd have to go back and look, but it was at least a nine-month, maybe more like a year-long effort. And there was a big, long road show to go out to various events and tell the community about what was, what was going on. But fundamentally, the, the, the thing to know to explain the architecture is that it's, uh, it's a cooperation between ICANN and VeriSign to sign the route. Uh, you know, as has been the case for a long time, uh, ICANN has a, uh, an agreement with the Department of Commerce to do the uh, IANA functions, and VeriSign has a cooperative agreement to run the A root server, uh, create the root zone, and that's most of what's left in that cooperative agreement. It was originally much more than that included. Well, well, okay, I, now I digress. Uh, <laughs> So the point is to sign to sign the route. Uh, it takes it takes two parties. So traditionally, what's what's happened is, you know, when a TLD owner wants to make a change to their entry in the root zone, they uh, they deal with IANA. Uh, uh, IANA 
sends the change to uh, Department of Commerce for uh, authorization, and then uh, DOC authorizes the change and VeriSign actually executes it because VeriSign has the registry for the root zone, and uh, then they publish it to the uh, hidden master servers for the root zone, and then all the root servers grab it. So that's how it was prior to DNSSEC. And with DNSSEC, uh, it still requires cooperation. And you know, to make a lot of discussions and a long story really short, uh, the way the responsibility is split is uh, ICANN manages the key signing key and VeriSign manages the zone signing key. And the key signing key was created in a ceremony in the, uh, well, again, I'd have to look at the date. It was the you know, spring, spring, late spring of 2010. And ICANN really, really did a good job uh, laying out all the, the procedures and they have two secure facilities, one in, uh, one in the Metro DC area and one in uh, the LA area. They have uh, you know, these really quite involved uh, elaborate ceremony rooms, they call them, that you know, have multiple layers of, of protection. I mean, you go through a, well, first you gotta get into the facility where they have you know, very serious looking people with actual, not just guns, but like automatic weapons. And then there's a door to get into the room and uh, that's a man trap. And then once you're in the room, then there's another door to get into where the safes are. And then you get into the safes and the, the hardware security modules, the, you know, the physical devices that actually hold the keys they're inside safes, and the point is that's where that's where the KSK is is stored. So, I was uh, fortunate enough to be present at the uh, at the ceremony where the KSK was created. There's actually photographic evidence. <laughs> I wonder how you how is it that they managed to get security with automatic weapons? Because I can't imagine that you know in the places that uh, these ceremony rooms are the ownership of automatic weapons is actually, uh, by anyone other than law enforcement or the military, is, is sanctioned. Well, these were law enforcement types, if I recall. I mean, this is a government data center. I mean, it, it, it's not mm. owned by the government, but it's, it's to the government's specifications, at least the one that I was in. I was only, I've only ever been to that one ceremony, uh, the initial one on the, on the East Coast. So the, uh, you know, we, we had to invent, uh, you know, various new things in order to accommodate this uh, unique arrangement. And so what happens is uh, VeriSign then generates a zone signing key and needs to, of course, get it signed by the key signing key. Mm -hmm. And so we came up with this uh, uh, data format. This, we invented a new thing called a, a, a key signing request, a KSR. Mm -hmm. And it's based on the concept from the X509 certificate world of a, a CSR, certificate signing request. So the, the KSR is this XML document, and it basically says, here's a zone signing key, and here are the various signatures I'd, I'd like. And so VeriSign submits the, uh, the KSR, and then it's, uh, it's, it's processed and, and signed, and then there's a, a key signing response that goes back that has the actual signatures. And that's how, you know, that, well, that's how the, the ZSK, that's how the, the various key sets that are going to get published in the root zone get signed. And then I, I had to look at the documentation. I, sh I should say there's a website for all this that has you know, really more information about this than you'd ever want to know. It's root-dnssec.org. Hmm. And, and, all, and all the dates on everything, you know, the dates look old, but that's because there hasn't really been any activity since then. But it's all, nothing has changed either. So everything you find there will be, uh, will be up to date. 
So there are, um, you know, within a given, uh, I should say, the, um, the, the root zone ZSK uh, is good for 90 days. So it's rolled over every 90 days. And every, uh, every 10 days, a new, uh, a new RR SIG on the key set for the root zone is, uh, is published. So in one of these KSRs, the response is, if I'm, doing, if I'm remembering right, I think you need, do you need 11? 11 signatures, I mean, you need, because there's pre-publishing and post-publishing, but so what, basically what the KSR says is, here's a ZSK, I need, you know, uh, like 10, 10 or 11 signatures with this validity period, and then that's what VeriSign takes back and, and uses when it publishes the, the zone. But this is all done, uh, this is all done somewhat manually in that the, the KSR is actually taken at least this uh, this is how I believe it, it it still works. The KSR is taken in, you know, literally on a USB stick, um, and they they take uh, a laptop out of the safe. They take the uh, the HSM out of the safe, plug the you know this is a laptop that never leaves that never leaves that room as a you know controlled in, environment, mm -hmm. and and it, it's quite it's quite involved. There are many many different steps. They're all documented. There are multiple people witnessing it. To, you instill confidence that nothing shady is going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the USB is literally plugged in uh, to the laptop. The KSR is read. The signatures are made on the HSM. The response goes back on the USB stick, and then that's couriered out of the room. Uh, so it's kind of, that's kind of cool that, that this, you know, this one part of it is, is kind of literally an air gap there. Yeah, yeah. And the one of the things that Yorgos had asked about was, um, you know, was it possible for regular people, although of course he's not a regular person, he's much more interested in DNS than the regular person, um, but can regular people participate in any way or witness it in any way? Well, I, I don't know. And of course I'm not directly involved anymore, but I know that there have been people there, I'm fairly sure there have been people there who are not, uh, you know, don't have an official role. And well, they do have an official role in that there is a uh, there is a role for an external witness. I think I think that's what it's called. Now, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, all my former Verisign and ICANN colleagues are screaming at their MP3 <laughs> players. Right, MP3 uh, players. <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah. So so that's boy. What else is there to to say about that? So that that process just sort of hums along. Every ninety days, there's one of these key ceremonies. Uh, and it has to be done, uh, well, I won't go into the timing. Every 90 days, there's a key ceremony for an upcoming 90-day uh, period. Mm -hmm. And it alternates between the East Coast and the, and the West Coast. And it takes several people to do this. Like, it's not just something that, you know, a couple of people can do. Uh, you know, I think that, I, I, I shudder to even hazard a guess, but it's like, it's at least half a dozen people wow. uh, at, a, at, a, at a minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's more, it's probably closer to 10 to actually have all the rules necessary and all the, uh, uh, oh, I didn't mention the trusted community representatives. There, you know, there are certain uh, threshold of people who have to be there because they, uh, they have to come together with their smart cards in order to uh, convince the uh, HSM that the right number of people are, are present and authorizing the KSK to be used. Right, right. That's one of those M of N things, right, where right. The, you have to have at least, uh, well, you know, some predetermined number of the, the various smart cards present in order to actually do the thing. Right. And, and we have uh, the possibility of a, of a root zone KSK rollover happening too, right? 
Yeah, well, that was the one. That was the one other thing I wanted to mention about this is that, you know, the 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 route was uh, signed in, as I said, summer of 2010, and we we knew that the root zone KSK wouldn't last forever, and we gave guidance that it would be. I, 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 the number five years comes to mind. I don't know if we said three to five years or five years or within five years, but five years is in there somewhere. And one of the reasons for that is that the lifetime of the uh, the batteries in the HSMs mm -hmm. uh, that you know, are needed to keep the non-volatile memory going uh, are five years. So we kind of thought, well, by the time we need new HSMs, because you don't just replace the battery because you don't open these things up, right? You, know, right? you have to replace, you throw it away and replace the whole thing. So the thinking was, well, surely we'll be able to roll the key <laughs> within five <laughs> years. Uh, but alas, no. So the HSMs have been replaced, I understand now. Uh, so there are new HSMs you know, using the, uh, with the, the current KSK uh, key material copied back on there. But there is an active, an active plan now, VeriSign and ICANN uh, have solicited some outside experts. Um, you know, they, and so I, I, I tweeted this from the ORC workshop and that several of those people were there. I think it's a group of it's like six or seven people and several of them were at, in Amsterdam at the ORC meeting and were all on the stage and Ed Lewis from ICANN was, uh, was, was talking. And so they're basically uh, you know, ex experts to help advise on this, on this process. Hmm. Uh, so you know, that, the, the design for that and figuring it out how to do that is, is underway. Uh, I don't know what the timetable is, but you know, like anything, like anything this serious, it's gonna it's gonna take a while. And of course, there's great concern that you don't do this in a wrong way and mess up anybody who's validating. Right, right. How do you suppose they're gonna do that? Because today, um, you know, a lot of name servers like uh, Bind have a compiled-in copy of the root zones KSK, so that when you you know when you decide, hey, I want to turn on. DNSSEC validation, you can do so without then, you know, pre-configuring the, the KSK. Not everybody would uh, probably upgrade to a new version of Bind that might have a pre-configured new KSK. So I, I guess I don't, I don't quite see how um, you can do it in a way that wouldn't possibly disrupt validation for some people. Well, right. I think it's inevitable there'll be some breakage. I mean, we do have this protocol uh, for Trust Anchor rollover called RFC. Well, it's, it's defined in RFC 5011, so everybody just calls it, you know, 5011 rollover, and that allows you to publish a, a new KSK in advance uh, with a, a, a bid in it that says basically I'm I'm the new KSK, and if you understand 5011, you should you should start using me as a trust anchor. Right. Um, you know, there certainly at the time we signed the route, the thinking was uh, well, there, there was essentially no RFC 5011. Uh, deployment then, but the, the thinking was, well, it's kind of like taking off in a plane with no landing gear and going, well, by the time we need to land, we will have built the landing gear. So the hope was, by the time we need to roll the KSK, RFC 5011 would be sufficiently deployed that that would solve part of it. Uh, you know, I don't have any stats on that. I don't, you know, I don't, I actually have no idea how prevalent uh, 5011 capable uh, DNSSEC validators uh, would be, you know, how many there are. You know, the other way is just kind of like we did with the root signing the first time. We went on a big roadshow, try to just get the word out. I think that's going to be the other the other part of this is just really let everybody know so that if you're even half awake in the DNS community, hopefully you'll hear somewhere that this important thing is happening on this day. Right, right. I think uh, you know there there are a couple of of 
issues with, 50, with assuming that 5011 support is going to save you. One is that there are, of course, name servers that support DNSSEC that don't support 5011 because 5011 came along fairly late. And if I remember um, the way that RFC 5011 support is configured in bind, it uses a different substatement than um, for, for trusted keys. So you use managed keys instead of trusted keys. So you know you would have had to have actively put you know a managed keys statement or something like that into your nady.conf file. Yeah. You know, the, then the other um, the other issue is you know what about I mean there are all kinds of other issues like what about um, what about devices that are uh, off the air you know that are mm -hmm. they're offline and brought back online because you know the fifty fifty eleven semantics don't don't last forever it's possible to miss rollover right 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 you have to actually see the uh, the new key introduced with uh, you know bearing a legitimate signature. Uh, by the, the private key that corresponds to the old public key, the old public KSK, right? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that will be, uh, <clears throat> those will be interesting times. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so tell me uh, more about DNS OARC and how the meeting went. I wish I had been there. It sounded like uh, a more interesting OARC meeting than some of the past ones. Yeah, the OARC workshop was, was great. It, uh, you know, it's really gratifying to see how far OARC has come. In fact, there was a, it, it's almost 10 years old, so we had a, a you know, sort of a 10-year retrospective, you know, anniversary presentation, you know, where Keith Mitchell, the uh, executive director, talked about, you know, where OARC is and where, where it had come from. And I got, a, I got a plaque as a former board member, so that was, it was very nice to be acknowledged. Great. Um, but, you know, it's got... Uh, like five part-time employees now and a budget of almost half a million dollars. Wow. And the workshop itself was uh, 133 people uh, out of like 140 registered. So nearly everyone came. You know, it's mm -hmm. a fantastic turnout. Uh, and there's now a program committee because it used to be like, you know, do you, can you spell DNS and are you alive? Mm -hmm. Yes, you can present. Well, no, I, I'm, I shouldn't make, I shouldn't make light. I mean, because certainly there was some, um, there was some level of, mo of moderation on the content, but certainly those early workshops, you know, we were grateful for what content we could, you know, we could get. But you know, now, uh, you know, it was, it was really good. Um, just just a bunch of interesting content, and then of course you have all the all the side discussions. Sure. Um, so there was yeah, there was one thing I wanted to tell you about and sort of get your uh, get your reaction to. Uh, have you guys have you had customers report uh, attacks? with uh, random uh, random labels in front of a you know a given domain name so you know like you know garbage.foo.com and then other garbage.foo.com and so on you know where the, where the third label is just uh, randomly changing so it, it it can't be cached and therefore requires every query to the recursive requires a trip to the authoritative have you guys seen that yeah we sure have um, mostly on the recursive side we have some um, some fairly big service provider customers who run uh, lots of recursives that are more or less open. And uh, they've reported that. Um, in fact, I think I even wrote an article about <laughs> about the phenomenon for some publication or another, Network World, maybe? Yeah, so, so the issue is it's, uh, it's just unfortunate that, you know, not only is the recursive attack, but then it, uh, it, it essentially, it, it attacks the 
be authoritative because since none of this can be cached, it has to go to the authoritative for every single one of these. So, right. um, so we were talking about it before we started to record. Oliver Guthmanson is now uh, at Cloud, uh, Cloudflare, and uh, he one of the things he's done there is uh, been involved in a real push to get everything signed, and so he was advocating the idea that you know is there a way around this? Is there a way for the authoritative server to tell the recursive, uh, you know, don't send me all that crap. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about it, there there is, because if the zone is signed, then you have NSEC records that tell you, you know, authoritatively what stuff uh, effectively doesn't exist. It tells you the, the gaps between the, the names in the zone. So right. there's nothing to, pre to prevent a recursive server from taking those insects as the authoritative denial of existence that they are, and then synthesizing NX domains on behalf of the authority server. Right, right. So, so the insect records, among other things, they say, um, you know, between say infoblocks.com and foo.infoblocks.com, there are no domain names. So, if somebody looked up, you know, aaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaaa
uh, right, and let's think about this. And you don't need to be, I would think you would do it, yeah, well, you definitely do it whether or not the querier to the recursive indicates they can do DNSSEC or not, right? Regardless of the status of the DO bit, you would send an NX domain. And if they don't understand NX domain, then obviously you can't send back the NSEC records, but you can still do the synthesize the NX domain. Well, I mean, isn't there, I mean, even, even if the DO bit is set, if the DO bit is set, you can send back the NSEC record. Right, that's right. And I guess, as we know, the DO bit's set a lot of the time, so. Yeah, yeah, by default nowadays with uh, modern, modern recursive name servers, right? Yeah, so then, so if you, if you sort of accept that that's the way to do this, there's still some things to, uh, to work out, which is, for example, how do you, how do you signal it? How does the authoritative server signal this? I mean, presumably you need DNS zero option. Why? I guess I don't quite understand the need to signal it. Why wouldn't a recursive name server do this on all occasions? Just do it all the time? Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Is there state to maintain? You're, I, I have not thought about this very much. Uh, you're keeping the NSEC records anyway in your cache. Uh, right, right. Is the difference that in this case, rather than only returning the NSEC records, um, you know, in response to a, a discrete query that you'd actually do the additional work of looking at the spans? Do most recursive name servers, in other words, not look at an NSEC record um, if they get a query for something that might be covered by the NSEC record? Uh, I, I don't know. It's into an implementation detail. What about, yeah. uh, what about negative caching? Because the other thing, so that was the other thing that I wanted to, to talk through is then how long how long do you do this? I guess you would do it for the duration of like the TTL of the NSEC record, which means that you're basically, it's the same effect as negative caching in that you blind the recursive to the appearance of new data in the zone for right. as long as either it's negatively caching or in this case, you know, in this, in this particular mode. Right, right. But that's an administrative choice that somebody's made already. Whoever runs the authoritative name server has, has chosen, um, the, the TTL on the NSEC records. So he's effectively doing that anyway. Let me think about that, because you're passing them along. Yeah. Well, well, yes, yes and no. To the extent that anybody uses the NSEC records beyond just one time, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if all you do is, if you use them in isolation, where it's like you get a negative, so you're a DNS validator. You, you get a negative response, it's got NSEC records, you go, yep, they prove it, uh, I believe it, and, and you're done. If you, if you never reference them again for any kind of uh, NX domain synthesis, then effectively the TTL doesn't really matter, right? You've only used them, you've only used them one time. But it's, but it's certainly perfectly, perfectly val valid to imagine that someone might reuse it, at least for the same Q name, for the same RR set, right? That somebody might say, uh, oh, uh, you know, I'm a recursive name server. I've cached, uh, you know, this NSEC record that I got when somebody tried to look up X. If somebody tries to look up X again, the recursive name server could pass back the same, the same thing, right? Well, that's absolutely true. Or it could. I mean, I wonder again, implementation details. I, I have a feeling we're approaching screaming at the uh, screaming at the radio territory again. <laughs> but like, um, so like, I don't know. Okay, so a validator, like, well. In any validator, it 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 gets a gets a response um, from the authoritative server. Um, 
does the validation, you know, returns the appropriate response to the uh, to its querier, then what if it gets the same query again? Does it cache the validation status, or does it do the do the validation again? You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's already been securely proven once, so you'd think it could just say, "Hey, I, that was proven. I don't need the the overhead of." keeping the, uh, the insect record around. But of course, having the insect record around would enable you to do the sort of DDoS protection that we were talking about. Well, you would want the, in I mean, it would, well, or it seemed to me you'd, you'd keep the insect because if anybody asks you with the DO bit, you know, you want to have it there to give it out. So you yeah. could simultaneously keep the insect record in your cache, but then also cache separately the fact that, okay, for this RR set, I've already, I've already validated it. Well, well of course, because there's a, there's a, yeah, this is we're, we're definitely into screaming at the radio territory because there's. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking back to the, uh, to the standards documents that that <laughs> I myself helped write, <laughs> and they and they yes, there's you're supposed to remember you're supposed to remember that I'm 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 sorry, folks, you can, you know, I, I hope you didn't strain your voices with the screaming. <laughs> we're getting older, you and I. <laughs> yes, we are. Hmm. Well, I almost feel like we better leave this topic before we do any more, before I do any more damage to my reputation. <laughs> yes, I can only say I wasn't there. I didn't help write the RFCs. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we, we should move on. But it sounds like a very interesting idea. I like it. Yeah, so I, I would imagine coming soon to an internet draft near you. I don't know, yeah. you know who's, who's going to write it up, but uh, yeah. So what, what else is going on with you? Well, you know, a fair amount of time on the road, um, about to head off to Sydney and Singapore, which are both great cities. And then uh, in June, Madrid, um, Rome, London, Zurich, and then home. <laughs> wow. So we're actually going to be in, uh, uh, in Europe in June as well, uh, taking the family to uh, Copenhagen and Stockholm. Oh, week. very nice. Yeah, yeah. I was in Copenhagen last year, I think, and oh boy, I, I, I do like that city, and Stockholm too. Stockholm. Yeah, I like I like them both. I have I've been to Stockholm, you know, within the past few years. I haven't been to Copenhagen in literally twenty years, almost twenty years. So mm -hmm. good to go back, and we'll be there at midsummer, like literally on June twenty first. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I looked I looked it up. It's like, it's just insane. There's like. I don't know the sunset. Well, I, I shouldn't even I shouldn't say because I can't remember. But there's like, like five hours of of night or something mm -hmm. crazy mm -hmm. like that. I've, I've I've been there. I was in Stockholm once in June, not over midsummer, but you know I I remember. It's sort of disorienting. Yeah, yeah. Well, when when I was working, well, when we were uh, working with Men and Mice, and then later when I was working for Men and Mice, didn't we? We went to Reykjavik in the in the uh, summertime, didn't we? That was I want to say it was September. Okay. Okay. I've definitely been there in the summertime, and <laughs> that's that's a very interesting experience. You've got to have blackout shades for your hotel room, <laughs> or you don't get any sleep. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Is that an honest uh, honest podcast there? I think it is. I think it is. Do you want to take us out? Sure. So, thank you everyone for your patience and for listening this far. And uh, we would love to have some actual questions in the mailbag to answer so that we don't have to talk about possible DNS protocol extensions and test our poor memories. So uh, 
please send us questions at uh, mrdns at ask-mrdns.com. And until next time, uh, talk to you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.